G'day guys, this is uh, James here uh, with the Plant Podcast for episode number two. Um, we have Matt, we have Tris, and we have Sean, a couple of special guests. Uh, these guys are crazy smart and uh, we've got them in to talk about how they've helped us, uh, myself and Matt, create our very unique plant protein just to give it a little bit of extra jazz, uh, just to make it even healthier than it already is. Um, so just to start things off, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get these guys to just talk a little bit about themselves um, so you guys can uh, understand where they're coming from, what they do, what they do at Biome Centric, and uh, yeah, basically what their specialty is. So I'm going to give it over to, say, Sean. You can start us off. Sean's going to just intro yourself, tell us a little bit about what you've done in the past and what your specialty is. James, Matt, guys, thanks for the opportunity to sort of talk on this podcast. It's always great to see innovators taking and leading in the space and taking the opportunity you know, to, to actually collaborate with manufacturers ourselves in the technology space. You know, I guess our journey started a long, long time ago. <clears throat> it's all to do with, you know, I guess probiotics, postbiotics and prebiotics and that whole uh, therapeutic space. And, and uh, you know, we've got a really big passion for the microbiome. Um, you know, we come from a background of, you know, manufacturing for all the leading brands as a contract manufacturer. And, uh, you know, that's sort of our, our background. And obviously part of that, we've sort of set up, uh, um, you know, growing the first bacteria plant that's um, sort of GMP certified in the world. We were part of that journey as well. Um, so that's sort of where sort of the brainchild of Biomcentric started. Um, you know, there's so many different brands out there, but they manufacture inferior products. Like it's just, you know, I think um, some of the products in the market, is like it's a lot of hype around a product and sometimes there's no substance to that product. And as a, so, you know, we had the opportunity, we could either be in a brand or be something, but because of our sort of exposure to the market, we wanted to collaborate with brands as yourself. And uh, that's, um, that's been the opportunity because the only way we can spread the goodness or the love in this space, like and to understand the microbiome, because I think the microbiome space is such a, it's, it's a young space at this stage, but the opportunity is massive. And with people realizing with the latest research and technology has been coming to light, um, people are understanding like the importance of the gut microbiome, the skin microbiome, and how it has to interact, um, I guess, just the, the overall importance. So at Biomcentric, what we've done is, you know, we focus on that gut-skin access, um, and that's sort of the number one priority. We focus on that everything microbiome. So we look at the, you know, from an environmental perspective, like the biome supporting the whole ecosystem being sustainable, um, you know, so we help brands develop um, new innovative products, um, focusing on fermentation and bacteria, probiotics, prebiotics, postbiotics, and coming up with real innovative, you know, new products and new materials that can obviously help and support, um, you know, I guess those brands. And at the end of the day, is we want to be that support system. You know, so whatever the brand is out there, you know, that's what we love. Our passion is to spread it across in different sectors. We operate in lots of different segments in the market. And to give you an example, um, you know, some of the things we're passionate about is like skin microbiome. So skin microbiome, people don't realize, you know, you go to your house and you pull off organic shampoo or shampoo. Have you ever really researched the ingredients that goes on? It's all chemical compounds that's sort of captured in. And how does it disrupt your skin microbiome, for example, the intake, the things that we eat, you know, what is happening to the microbiome? It's obviously we are more bacteria than... Um, that, you know, I guess some human genome cells. And the important is like, what's that role playing? Um, and uh, I guess it's a long story short. <laughs> it's like, we don't have... That's yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Well, just tacking onto that, 
So uh, stuff that we put on our skin, we can actually, we're, we're absorbing the stuff that's on our skin, especially if it's like chemical. Let's just say, let's take sunscreen, for instance. The stuff that we put in sunscreen, we put it on our skin to help us protect us from sunburn. But how much of those chemicals are passing through the skin and going into our bloodstream and are those chemicals somewhat, are they okay? How are we processing them? What is it doing? Is it disrupting other things, other systems in our body at the same time? That's the thing we've got to kind of think about as yeah. well, right? You think about, like, I guess you, you look at the sun, obviously affecting the skin, obviously producing vitamin D3. That's how we affect on the gut microbiome. That's playing, that's changing that composition, just being exposed to the sun. So, and people don't realise that the gut microbiome, the skin microbiome, it's such an important aspect of what we're talking about. So whether it be, and the, the thing about bacteria, it's such an amazing area. I mean, everything around us, it's bacteria. And if it wasn't for those bacteria, the world we live in will be a completely different, you know, it will completely be different. So it's very yeah. important um, from that perspective. So Biocentric is all about, you know, helping creating new bioactive compounds, whether it's in cosmetics or whether it's in nutraceuticals or functional foods, specializing in fermentation. And uh, we love to collaborate with brands that are really passionate about that. And there's a whole, they call it the era of the microbiome. And it's not for nothing. It's because the microbiome and the latest research shows us the importance of the microbiome. And that's what we harness. So we're that, um, that beacon especially in Australia and obviously globally working um, to, you know, to, to showcase that and that capability. And obviously, um, and I, and I, yeah, and, oh, and it's oh. obviously really proud to be able to, you know, share this journey with a brand as yourself. And um, this, the stuff that we do together is obviously amazing. Oh, it's going to be great. <laughs> so this is the, the thing. I met Sean a long time ago. He kept Trist secret for quite a while um, it's like a little secret weapon in the back yeah but um we talked a lot about ideas and concepts that hadn't yet been developed so about two and a half thousand years ago i think it was hippocrates some guy there he reckons um there's something in these fermented foods that help to support our gut health and through our gut health we can achieve you know systemic health i think it was 2021 so just last year i think august last year is when they finally decided to give the proper definitions to what the difference between a probiotic, which is the live bugs, the prebiotic food, the postbiotic, which is the stuff made from these guys, and then these ghost zombie bugs, which we're going to get Trish to explain to us in a sec. Um, so it was only like August last year that the information and the world started agreeing with the crazy ideas that Sean and I had been discussing about for a long time about postbiotics. Why does it have to be live bugs? You know, what are the dead bugs doing? What's the acids that are made through these products? What are the other enzymes? What are these other things? And we had a lot of ideas and belief systems about how the industry could be different. Um, and it just took a long time for that science to, to catch up. Um, but in the meantime, we kind of like all had similar beliefs and similar ideas. And now we've come into a position where we've got the data. It's all starting to catch up. Science is almost smart enough to understand small parts of nature. Um, and explain a couple of things, you know, and we're so, science is so far behind explaining how nature does what nature does. But um, that's where we're learning so much more. And um, that's why it's handy having someone like Tris that's just dedicated their life to this shit, literally. Yeah. Like he just <laughs> focuses in on that. <laughs> yeah. well, I think that's, um, it's super interesting. And just to, just before I let Tris intro himself and, and talk about some um, gut bugs and bacteria and stuff, just so I'm clear, and this is probably for a lot of people out there, just like me and a lot of 
what is said is going to be like, oh, it doesn't make sense just yet, but it will, it will, um, especially as we talk about this stuff more, which is going to be a, a hot topic for us. So just quickly, a bacteria, mm. how does that differ from an enzyme? Like, is that what is created? Is that, uh, well, maybe that's a good segue for yeah, you to introduce yeah, yourself and then we can talk about <laughs> the difference between yeah. a bacteria and what an enzyme is because as a just someone who's just been an athlete, never, re- not, never done any tertiary study, mm. I would just say... Food goes in, it is either protein, carbohydrates, fat, then you've got vitamins and minerals, and then the enzymes come over to those carbohydrates, they lock themselves in, they twist around, they break it apart, and then your body does something with it. That's as far as you know most people will probably get. So maybe this is a good way for you to intro yourself, talk a little bit about you know what you studied, yeah, yeah. and then maybe just explain a little bit about that. Sure, sure. So, um, so yeah, as, as um, you guys have alluded to, so obviously... My background is in microbiology, um, microbial ecology specifically. So my PhD was looking at uh, microbial ecology, actually of um, soils. So looking at these like uncultural bacteria um, from soil because back then we didn't really know a lot about bacteria. Like what you could culture in the lab was kind of like the knowledge, but sequencing technology started to improve. and We started to be able to sequence the genes that are present from these bacteria. So people may have heard of like 16S sequencing and these kinds of things. So that's looking at specific markers within the within the organisms that tells you based on evolution of that gene what those what those are essentially so those technologies started to improve probably from like mid to early 2000s um, cost of that sequencing decreased and the capabilities and the capacity of those things increased so our knowledge of that whole group of organisms started to increase so we started to realize that oh there's a whole lot of these things that we can grow on a plate e coli and things you've all probably heard of but um, Corona. there's but then there's a big big chunk <clears throat> that we can't um and then we only know about them through this molecular work so part of my work was looking at sort of you know understanding some of these organisms that are not culturable in the lab traditionally trying to culture them so that's kind of like my original background through my phd and then working through um with the antarctic division and other groups and universities looking at microbial ecology in soils understanding how they interact with um different um organisms in the soil, plants, um, how they respond to climate change, how they respond to like pollutants and things like that. Uh, and then I kind of like being very interested in the human microbiome, microbiome space, started to sort of look towards all oh, this, you know, like obviously I want to learn a bit more about myself and my health and these sorts of things. And the human microbiome started to take off with the human microbiome project. People like Rob Knight looking at all these things globally, people studying people's poop and seeing what's in there and what are they doing. Um, so my interest in that started to increase, uh, and then I started to like work with Sean. As he mentioned, we were looking in this probiotic manufacturing site um, and looking at how we can use these as therapeutics. But a big part of that is understanding their interaction with the microbiome, understanding the microbiome. So um, our experience with that side of things, regulatory side of things, basically has been like my, my career for the last like, 10, 15 years or so. And then essentially that sort of brings us to, to today. Um, looking at microbiome science, definitely in its infancy in terms of a science really um so like as sean said we're sort of scratching the surface you guys have had these ideas that are starting to somewhat get validated by by scientific research and and people are starting to go oh hang on there's this big sort of like elephant in the room about health and everything that we haven't really looked at so now it's kind of coming to the forefront but to go over to your other question so defining some of these things right like people throw these terms around what's a microbiome what's a bacteria what's an enzyme microbiome just to sort of define that is essentially the name given to the uh, genomic composition of all of the microbes in an environment. 
that could be your gut, that could be soil, that could be your skin. So the microbiome, O-M-E, that's the genome. That's the genomic por portion of it. Microbiota is the actual organisms themselves. So when, when we, those tend to get used interchangeably, but mm. those two basically mean the live organisms or the, the genome that's, that's um, present when you sequence a sample, essentially. Bacteria um, is a microbe. Um, it's essentially a single cell organism. And um, basically they're like fully functioning. They do everything they need to do, interact with the environment. They're responsive to their environment. Um, they can grow into colonies or they can grow planktonically. Um, and essentially they're a fully functioning cell that functions as an organism. Same as you and me interacting with the environment, but basically they are like self-contained. An enzyme is basically a protein complex that will be able to interact with other molecules and generally break them down. So um, if you're looking at carbohydrates, for instance, you get like amylases that will break down a carbohydrate into simple simple components that then we can absorb or not necessarily for us to absorb, but maybe for our microbiome to use mm. indirectly. So that's that kind of uh, general definition there. But basically that's sort of, you know, there's a lot of probably new words for a lot of people in this space. And um, part of our, our sort of, you know, work in terms of obviously developing these ingredients and developing these processes and helping brands is education. Um, and so I think people probably don't really um, know much about this space. And so there's not so much sort of um, foray into the space just yet because people aren't aware of a lot of these concepts and the impact that they have. But, um, yeah, I, I, think I think one of the things we're saying is like we work with this every day. So for us, it's like, it's yeah. a no-brainer. Like yeah. it's a no-brainer. Don't don't you see the potential? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, and, I, and I guess when that light goes on, and it's like Matt, me and you, oh, you mate. know. Uh, I know. I was having these arguments at the late nineties with scientists, just as we we're about to launch probiotic um, supplements, saying, "But what about the dead portion? Or like, what what actually is it? Because you've only told me a couple of hundred milligrams of this powder. What's the rest of it? You know, and and is how do you know it's not that doing stuff?" Mm. But some of the things, just again to explain further for the listeners with the enzymes and that that you're talking about before, we make so this is the beauty of the microbiome. Now we talk about the genomes and that with the human genome being about twenty two thousand genes. The gut, our genome takes like maybe hundred thousand years to like adapt to our environment or something like that through you know Darwin theories. Um, However, our microbiome, we've got about 3.3 million genes in there that our body can recruit. So where our pancreas might make a series of enzymes that's capable of breaking down certain nutrients, if we're lacking enzymes that we require to break down a specific food or that the bacteria need to break down a specific food that they want to feed, and then they're capable often of making those enzymes and even changing your the the mic changing your microbiome by changing the ratios and the populations of the different species and then it will adapt to your new diet or adapt to the diet and actually start creating the enzymes that you're lacking that might break down some of the anti-nutrients in a food that might be blocking the microbes from getting what they want it's not all about us i mean a lot of the time the bugs are just making stuff for themselves and actually that's where the overgrowth of the bugs can come in problematic because we start competing with them for their preferred food sources and linking to things like insulin and that, which we'll cover in multiple podcasts. Um, we need to get a bit more to the basics. Yeah. Mm. So that's interesting. So that kind of comes back with what we were talking about when let's just say that you eat just a very stock standard and repeated diet day in, day out for months on end. Then you were to, and say your gut bugs, your they're feeding on that particular food. They're getting fed particular food um, as a, say, pre prebiotic, um, which your food is the prebiotic to fuel those guys. 
then you would add something completely different into your diet and it doesn't sit well on you. Let's just say you get bloated or you get, uh, doesn't, you know, for me, it was like chickpeas was the number one thing. I never had chickpeas. I had chickpeas once and I got super bloated from it. Is that because I don't have the right microbiome makeup to break that stuff down or in that's just sitting in there doing something? What, like what's, what's the go typically with that type of stuff? Like if we were to introduce a, or an intolerance, we call it yeah. intoler- like a milk intolerance or lactose intolerance or, a, you know, a, um, maybe like a high phytic acid uh, or, f- or phytate, phytate um, yep. you know, food like chickpeas. something. Yeah, like or that. even oxalates. And oxalates, anytime we salicylates. make a massive change in our diet, even changing from one season to another, sometimes when we first start binging, our body can be a little bit intolerant to a food. The difference to, uh, with an intolerance, it basically means we're struggling to break it down to which we then have partially broken down things that would trigger the immune system to like try to create a flushing reaction or sometimes in the case of things like lactose or with the chickpeas if we can't break down a particular sugar out of it it'll ferment um, by those microbes until we're capable of making those enzymes and sometimes that the initial intolerance that then becomes into something that we can tolerate um, is the actual changing of our microbiome. And we like, for example, we acquire the bugs that we need to break down lactose or break down the other sugars. And then when we avoid those foods for a period of time, those microbes will die off. Or if you never eat those foods, those microbes might starve off. So the problem with having a, a balanced diet but not a varied diet is that you can build up particular strains can be um, overgrown and other strains that never get the fuel that they need never grow at all. See, that's the thing is like that's it's it's this power and diversity of the microbes. Yeah. And you'll see all the clinical evidence and the data and the studies out there. The more diverse your microbiome is, whether it's your gut microbiome or skin microbiome, it's associated with health. Yeah. And that's why it's important, like the foods and the things we eat and what we put in our skin, what we interact, how we interact, and what are we feeding those microbes? Because otherwise, without that diversity. It's just, you know, you're introducing all these negative things. Mm. And the reason why um, that they're pointing at, that they're talking about, like like I said in the papers from August late last year, (laughs) like they were saying that it's possibly the postbiotic compounds that are made. So the more variety of bugs that you have, um, and you get that by eating a bigger variety of food, which we'll call prebiotics when we want to be scientific, you know, so we'll, we'll be feeding these prebiotic foods to them. The more variety you get there, the more variety of microbes that you'll colonise and grow, which means the more variety of chemicals, compounds, metabolites, um, fatty acids and all these crazy amazing things we're still discovering. Things like, like glutathione and vitamin B12 and vitamin Ks and all these things are made by those bugs. So the more diverse, the more different strains of bugs that you have, the more capability you have to make a bigger, diverse postbiotic matrix which means you've got a much better ability to actually provide the tools that your body might need to overcome some sort of a stress or something like that that's super cool and i think this is probably tacking on to what you were uh, studying in your phd we've spoken about this once before matt and we have you know we've got we can test our microbiome i'm going to do a microbial test and see what's going on in there but we also find that it's very important to test what's coming out at the end. So making sure we can take a look at that and to see, you know, we might get a, a better idea on overall health by looking and seeing what's coming out the other end um, than just seeing what's in there at the moment because along the way there's obviously some changes that happen. So um, yeah, it's not what you are. That's what we decided the other podcast. It's not what, what is it? You are what you eat. It's like you are what you poop. 
<laughs> because it's more determined how your body takes those yeah. prebiotic substrates and what it does with them. You know, we talked about like in some episodes of podcast, I lose my mind how much I talk. I don't even know anymore. So, you know, like <laughs> carnitine can get hijacked by a particular TMAO. bug and turned to TMAO, which causes hardening in the arteries. Instead of carnitine stimulating carnitine palmitol transferase to burn fat, it'll make a thing that causes hardening in the arteries. So Choline that's supposed to make you smart can cause dementia if it goes down the wrong pathway it's all to do with the bugs that you have and so just talking about carnitine for two seconds and what how that comes about so what is carnitine where do we get it from and how do we make sure it goes down the right pathway oh i know what you uh, he's setting a trap <laughs> oh i know what's happening yes carnitine comes from meat james <laughs> it doesn't matter for me and tris nah. <laughs> but choline let's talk about choline instead okay fair enough because it comes from legumes um <laughs> <laughs> and it comes from the eggs and yeah. that. But you know when they say like you don't eat, you can't eat eggs, it causes heart disease, or don't eat too many nuts because it causes heart disease because they're going, oh, we've worked out that there's these choline components that can go down this wrong pathway. But that's also why they say we should eat the nuts and that sort of stuff with a skin on because these polyphenols on the outside can control the bugs and control those pathways. Um, you know, with the meat, when you combine the meat, combine meat with things like garlic, um, ginger, a lot of other herbs and spices, they all actually help to control the microbiome that controls the pathway the carnitine goes down. Actually, um, Almada, Anthony Almada did a, a wicked study showing how to he can increase carnitine absorption into muscles um, by combining it with sugar. And everyone was like, that oh, doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's like a bizarre thing. But it turns out that if you've combine your carnitine with sugar, the bugs are so busy feeding on the sugar, the carnitine slips through. So it's like crazy to think how a balanced diet and a varied diet and changing a diet is so important and then incorporating all the other bits and pieces for the microbiome. So for interesting, so for things that um, like is carnitine, for instance, is that, uh, is that a, do we have to consume that? Because we're not getting that out of plants, are we? We're not getting any carnitine really. No, you're not getting cunning, but you make it. It's so not one of the essentials. We can make it? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, cool. Okay, yeah. cool. So we can use other proteins to make that one. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sweet. Yeah, something like creatine and that. It's made out of the other amino acids as well. Yep. Yeah. So um, going back to that, just talking about the soil that you were looking at for mm -hmm. bacteria, yep, in, yep. for instance, is the micro microbiome in the soil? Is yep, that yep, the, yep, yep. Yep. So microbiome in the soil, is that the same types of bacteria and bugs that are in our gut? No, um, there may be some that we do like, well, maybe depending on the populations that you look at, for instance, where, you know, you're not like, oh, let's, if, okay, let's go back. Sorry. If we look at a Western lifestyle where we sanitize everything, our food is washed and all that sort of stuff and we very little interact with the environment, probably not. Yeah. Um, but if we look at sort of like the human animal, for instance, um, yeah, it probably would be some overlap in some of those species, but obviously there's a lot of um, different substrates in the soil. Um, and so there's a different, it's a completely different ecosystem. Yeah. So what about dead ones, Tris? Dead the ones. The postbiotics from the soil. soil and that. Yeah, potentially they could be some things, but I, I guess it's, there's nothing, obviously postbiotic is going to just pass through, yeah. through you and there's obviously the zero colonization. So if you were continually consuming them and you, and you did a microbial test, then you may pick those up. But um, I don't think that they're part of like the core microbiome in general. Um, so uh, it's the same I'll everywhere, hey. So like, yeah, sorry, yeah. if we get, so like, if it's in, if we have microbiome in our stomach, yep. microbiome in our soil, mm -hmm. if we have a fermented food on a bench, yep. and we're talking about our skin, it's a similar recipe. Like we got prebiotic, which is their fuel. Absolutely. We have the live organisms that kind of have to be there to be fed. Yep. Like, and they'll come from either the environment yep. or on the food or from mum or wherever we got them originally. Yep. Um, 
And then we need a series of an environment like um, acid. You know, we look at pH levels and temperatures and all those sort of things that will allow that mm. the the brewing to occur. Definitely. And then it creates postbiotic metabolites. Yeah. Is it something to keep in mind? Like obviously, like you were saying before, like the term postbiotic. For years, people have been referring it for sorts of different names like parabiotics and ghost bodies mm. and you know inactivated, heat treated, uh, tantalized, all these different types of what they call the postbiotic and and to and I guess last year and obviously we've been strong advocates of promoting the word postbiotics and uh, I guess with our efforts, you know we've basically put together the Wikipedia page and um, so that people can get an understanding of what it is and. Then after the Wikipedia page was put together about postbiotics and all the references and showing the science, we just did that work to put mm. it all together. And then obviously the International Probiotic Association um, published a paper in Nature and obviously defining postbiotics. And if you look at postbiotics, essentially, if you want to break it down, the two things, postbiotics, you can either refer to as the dead cell. So you look, you've got your live organism, but that live organism, the moment you kill it mm -hmm. you know, or deactivate it, um, that is classified as a postbiotic. But a postbiotic can also be classified as when a bacteria grows, as it's growing on a certain substrate or substrates, it excretes metabolites and these wonderful bioactive compounds that comes out and thousands of different compounds it produce. And that's also called postbiotic. So it's got these postbiotics is two categories. And sometimes people need to be aware <coughs> there's these two categories because sometimes they refer to the one as the deactivated cell, but the value lies not just in the one. It's like it's mm. it's that combined, it's that metabolite solution and the actual deactivated bacteria. Maybe Tris, we can explain about the mechanism, how it worked, why the deactivated bacteria, why is it so effective yeah. um, um, compared to a live bacteria? Because you know it's not competing, but maybe we'll talk a little bit about. Yeah, but no. I mean, I think like it's probably to be definitive about it is a bit is a bit sort of over over overreaching, but certainly. Um, the sort of mechanisms of actions of probiotics are boiled down to the things that they do, right? The things that they produce. So um, if you're looking at a probiotic functioning, let's talk about, for instance, short-chain fatty acids, one of the most known about metabolites that they, they produce and that's probably well studied in their interaction with humans. Um, those things are actually what's sort of doing the good work. If you look at that, say, fermenting in a solution, um, it's going to be excreting a lot of that. So lactic acid, acetic acid, butyric acid, propionic acid, these things are the things that are the sort of gold part of, of what the probiotics do. Um, not only that, but when you sort of deactivate that cell, um, then potentially you're going to, um, as you consume that, that cell will get busted open in your gut. Um, and then there's a whole load of cellular components that also that can interact with us. So things like um, the like various peptides that they produce, so there's antimicrobial peptides, or there's um, things that are embedded in cell membrane that interact with other bacteria in your gut. So that cell of the probiotic actually is a massive, um, like, bolus of prebiotic, essentially, yeah. for your gut. So um, not only is there that direct interaction with us as a host, those chemicals, those molecules and signaling components, but also the components of the probiotic cell act as that sort of food for for the thing so like not only compost almost like compost to allow exactly your like microbiome that, yeah. so grow i think if we think about the microbiome as an ecosystem and a soil ecosystem is quite mm. a good one like a garden or a forest or something like that that's rich and diverse when things are functioning well everything's in this nice balance right eubiosis is the term that's usually used for a balance and dysbiosis is the term that's used for unbalanced community mm. so if you look at that balance um you've got things nothing really is overshooting anything else right like if something overgrows 
um, that system gets out of balance and then it's sort of something will come along either to correct itself or that system will collapse. Yeah. But in a balancing ecosystem, there's everything's competing against each other or some things are like sort of harmonious with each other. And that's kind of essentially what you want in the gut, right? That diversity that we talk about, um, that comes from, you know, some probiotics or some some commensals, excuse me, um, interacting with the fiber that we eat. Some of them also interacting with the fiber producing like antimicrobial peptides that control those opportunistic pathogens. So that whole thing is like working nicely. So when you're just feeding just the foods, um, you get a portion of that story. But if you take those probiotics and you put them into the gut and we call them as postbiotics, you get their metabolites on top of that. You get all of their cellular components on top of that. So you're, you're basically adding this rich compost, really great, great analogy there, um, to fuel that environment a lot better and create a lot more diversity when you're um, basically feeding everything right. in there. If you think about just giving, like, if we just went to a garden and we just put, like, one type of fertilizer on there, yep. some things will grow well, other things will be neglected, right? So you're sort of satisfying but, that. But, the, but also in saying that, it's also important, the bacteria. Sometimes, <clears throat> I guess, people, we've got a genus, we've got, obviously, a strain level, uh, or, like, species level and a strain level, and sometimes you sell many different products on the market and people just throw in species level or just throw in mm. the genus and people talk about probiotics it's like it's the word probiotics is like it's sometimes when i look at products and look at the industry it's been so abused like uh, yeah and i guess what we you know uh, being an advocate for postbiotics we hope that postbiotics don't get abused that way yeah. because there's you know there's a whole different spectrum I mean, I, I heard you know i've been talking to um you know some of the regulatory you know and the questions that, that brands are asking them you know how can we call our existing product a postbiotic, exactly. You know, that's and the bigger risk, th- isn't it? That's the thing is because obviously probiotics are alive, and in that product they will deteriorate, and now all of a sudden they can call it a postbiotic. Mm. No, it's like you need to understand. Well, the at first they tried yeah. to say postbiotics don't work, but then we reminded them that there's never been a, a any probiotic study that's had exclusively live bugs. So every potential benefit you found from a live probiotic in a study potentially could have come from the dead portion. Because when they count these 35 billion and organisms, they're often formulating with 100 billion. So that way they can get down to 35 around expiry or even more. So there's, we already know there's a lot more dead in these things than live, especially at, at any stage of these products' life cycle, the ratios between live and dead, we have no idea. And so there's never been any studies where they can definitively say live bugs do this. The only way they can identify it is by re, by killing those formulas and then comparing it to what the dead ones do and they're finding very similar results in many cases. Um, one thing that's really interesting um, about what you are saying before that, so this gut, this if we use the analogy of a garden, you know, and the compost and the soil, when James goes and does his... Um, poop test at Microba and they tell him he's got an overgrowth of some clostridiums or candidas or something like that the in a few years ago like a couple of decades ago that we would have been told to go and get a a lactobacillus plantarum at a hundred as many billions of these things as you can find and we're going to throw it at it and it's going to fix it in my experience it doesn't work the analogy of that is like a farmer walking up to a weed throwing grass seeds at it expecting these weeds to just kind of get up and go so that's why probiotics postbiotics gut health is only a small part of it because if we don't having the regular changes in the diet if we're not using these antimicrobial polyphenols and that sort of stuff as well to kind of control that population or if our gut microbiome has gone so far out of whack you know, <laughs> that it's really hard to re-establish, then when we do change to a healthy diet, mm. 
we don't always have the right microbiome to deal with it. And then you go through those phases of bloating and they talk about getting worse before you get better. Yeah. But we still got to work through that process to build the proper colonies of bugs to make all the postbiotic metabolites we need to break down those variety of diets. And that comes from the soils as well. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because is this almost like, so say we've got this harmonious uh, garden that is balanced and it doesn't have something, you know, um, you know, getting way out of whack and something growing way too much. Let's say, is that like the, uh, the health to sickness axis? So let's just say we've got a really harmonious, balanced um, uh, gut microbiome and we're in health, we're in health here. But then something has triggered us to grow particular strands of bacteria way too much and they overgrow. It's like you've got all these weeds growing in your garden now. Is that, would that send us into the starting to get sicker phase and things like pathogens can start to overtake and that's where we start to get run down and get a cold because things aren't working harmoniously in our gut. Is that type? Is that the type of thing we're looking at here? Yeah, highly yeah. Likely, yeah, highly likely scenario. Yeah, basically that overgrowth, that dysbiosis, um, it has such a strong interaction with us. I mean, there's well-established links to the, the gut-brain axis, there's the gut-skin axis, but there's also a strong link to immunity as well. So, um, you know, the microbiome and all of those um, components they produce, they help modulate our immune system, um, which is why sort of, I guess, like sort of sidestepping a little bit of that whole hygiene hypothesis of us growing up with, you know, not being exposed to environmental organisms and things like that, conditioning the immune system and developing the microbiome leads to things like allergies, for instance. Mm. Um, so those kind of things, mm. exactly right. That dysbiosis leads to generally, probably like a, you know, overstatement, but generally poor, poor health or, or some markers of health would, Sure. Well, it's things like um, when you get a cold. Yep. It's like a, when you're growing up and you get a cold and your grandma says, yeah, have some ginger, have some garlic, have some of this stuff, you know, that's going to make you feel better. It's like maybe we should just be having those things all the time because maybe they do help us regulate, you know, the types of gut bugs that we have to not overgrow and, you know, maybe getting some polyphenols and things in there to help keep mm. things under control and not getting out of whack with too much of this stuff. Definitely. But it's the diversity is the key. You know, you could just go over, you go, okay, let's say ginger and garlic are amazing. Let's just pump the hell out of those. But no, you kind of need to span that thing. So the American Gut Project years ago looked at what's what constitutes and what helps a healthy microbiome. They looked at population, obviously, of, of sequencing people's poop. And um, 30 or more foods, fruits, vegetables, things per week um, was, was associated with a, a healthy and diverse microbiome. And 10 or fewer was usually associated with um, poorer or um, diversity yeah. and so that diversity of the microbiome like how many species how many different species do you have in your gut um, that's kind of one of the biggest indicators that is your microbiome healthy that's the mm. thing that sort of helps keep things from getting out of whack um, and gives us that functional diversity in the gut so the number of species is a, is an important thing but also what they can do mm. so all of these like metabolic pathways and processes that they can they can do in our gut and how they interact with our food is what's going to lead to obviously overall gut health and then and something I, I guess I see with, with you know with people out there like obviously they take a kefir they take a kombucha and they think that's uh, I'm taking my probiotic I'm taking my postbiotic but if you look at if you sequence a kombucha you know we do a full genomic sequence on a kombucha and you look at the bacteria that's in there I mean Chris what you've seen kombuchas like how yeah. how, how safe is kombuchas really well I guess it's a bit of a um, it depend, depends kind of scenario for sure but like um it and it really depends on the, the manufacturing and the quality and these kinds of things. But there are definitely going to be, you know, you're using like black tea, for instance. That's what sterilizers obviously going to come with like potential pathogens like Bacillus cereus and mm -hmm. things like that. So Clostridium, you're going to get potential toxins. So if that fermentation doesn't happen just right, you know, the pH drop enough, 
you're going to potentially get these things producing toxins, things like kombucha. Also, there's a lot of things like biogenic amines, so histamine, tyramine, those kind mm. of things, which we know have like responses in the gut and can cause systemic irritate, uh, inflammation and irritation, things like that. So definitely like those things that are seen as almost like a panacea um, are probably oversold in terms of their sort of, you know, health benefits. For sure, there's, there's going to be good things, but it's not your like replacement for a specific and um, diverse selection of like a probiotic. Interesting. So um, just having a kombucha every day, yeah. probably maybe having, let's just say it's a, let's say it's a good kombucha and it's got good quality, everything they've done the right thing. And it comes out good, but having that same thing every day yeah. is probably not the best thing to do. I mean, you potentially could, you wouldn't want a lot of it because obviously you're just essentially just pumping a lot of one thing. Like it's the one thing, thing that we want to try to avoid. So, you know, have a kefir, have a kombucha, have some sauerkraut, have other ferments, you know, kimchi and those sorts of things like gochujang, the fermented chili, uh, like all those kind of things. That's going to give you a large diversity of those kind of like positive probiotic microbes. But also if we're talking about fermented foods and postbiotic message, right? What's actually good about that fermentation process, right? It's, Probably partly is the story of the probiotics that we're going to be getting from that, but it's all those postbiotic metabolites. So yeah. they're taking that food and they're breaking it down. So A, they're making a lot of the nutrients more accessible to us, and B, they're producing a lot of these metabolites that are beneficial for us as well. So you're consuming this thing as like a supercharged version of cabbage if you're having sauerkraut or like chilies and things if you're having kimchi. So definitely um, it's a really good thing to consume overall for the postbiotic benefit, but it's probably overplayed each one say this is the you know yeah. the that's the reason i always said Cedric, what we do is we try and focus on that particular bacterium or that mm -hmm. particular strain that produce certain metabolites as postbiotics and choose a substrate that obviously is meaningful because yeah. you can the substrate plays such a important role i mean obviously people can ferment things on milk on different substrates and different complex compositions i mean in our line of business we obviously optimize the bacteria growth by feeding them the right composition of food to encourage that particular species of bacteria to grow at optimum and we target certain things like branch chain fatty acids and um, you know branch fats and uh, all sorts of different things that we are looking for in those compounds that they produce and but you have to select the substrate and control the process because organism for that substrate exactly mm -hmm. and for the right organism because a lot of a lot of people out there they don't you know, obviously they don't even know what substrates grow on because the manufacturers out there we're coming from that background mm. so we know what goes on in that space ask your manufacturer what substrate their bacteria is grown on they won't disclose it because it's the intellectual property yeah yeah it's all these things that's been the, the industry keeps so secretive yeah and having that insight in it and to know what really actually happens behind the scenes it's so important sean just answered your original question so when you were saying, so when someone changes their diet and we have these reactions and stuff, so what we're saying is that you've got to match the right fuel with the right probiotic to make the right postbiotic compounds. If you, you can have bad guts that will hijack good food. Mm -hmm. So you have the wrong bugs, they will take your food and turn it into a toxic metabolite. That's where these old sayings, you know, one man's medicine is another man's poison. It's, not, it's to do with what the body chooses to do with those substrates. So the cool thing is what these guys can do in a lab situation or in a bench top, they can select specific substrates, prebiotic fibres and that sort of stuff with other polyphenol components or whatever mod modifying compounds. They put it in with the probiotics and that way they'll make sure it gets made into the right postbiotic metabolites. But in your gut, we have 
500 to 1,000 different species of microbes that are constantly living there. You've got all these prebiotics. The biggest nutritional gap we have in society is the fibre gap, but no one wants to talk about what's attached to the fibre. So everyone's putting the fibre back in as these clean white bits of cardboard or, I don't know, roughage or whatever they want to call it. But fibre in food is normally attached to the polyphenols that give the colour, the smell, the fragrance, all the volatile components that's in fresh food. That all lives in with the fibre. Um, the fibre has to hold on to all those sort of things. And a lot of those um, polyphenols, and that we'll call them anti-nutrients, they bind onto the nutrients so they don't wash away and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like crazy things. But So in a lab situation, you can custom make these things. In your body, when you make a quick change to your diet, all of a sudden, if you haven't, adjusted your gut microbiome to deal with those new changing prebiotics and postbiotics the acids the enzymes that sean's talking about they're made by the microbiome in your stomach we need a very stomach very acid stomach and then then it goes alkaline and then it goes acid again we need these compartments so it can shift through these guys are capable of doing this on a bench top which takes out some of the variability so when we custom make or custom create the right blends of bugs in the right trade secret process, um, we can create the right postbiotic compounds that the body needs to support the breakdown, digestion, and utilization of that predetermined or the target substrate or fuel. Yeah. And look, I guess to comment on that, I mean, as an example, like, you know, we develop a new skincare range, you know, and traditionally, we all know aloe vera is good for the skin, you know, but how do we? let's call it the common tacky word, supercharged aloe vera. Mm. You know, we go and look at aloe vera and then select the right bacteria that can metabolize aloe vera as a, as a, as a material, as a substrate, and converting that into a, like a fermented aloe vera and producing, you know, those bioactive compounds through the metabolized produced when it's fermenting. That basically creates this beautiful new material that you're taking something from a standard aloe vera that's got these bioactive compounds and you're giving it that extra charge by fermenting it on the right bacteria. The bacteria is consuming that substrate. And, you know, the, we all know the studies out there, when something is fermented, the bioavailability becomes so much more. I mean, mm. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you can look at studies of, of things like pomegranate. The antioxidant activity when you ferment that pomegranate increases drastically from, from when you just have the raw fruit. Um, and I think the other the other component and, and the advantage of having postbiotics like this is you may have experienced it when you've, you know, had that huge bolus of um, chickpeas and you got like a lot of raffinose there. Something's opportunistic, takes advantage of that, ferments that. Maybe the outcome of that isn't desirable, but what we can do is we can control those fermentation conditions. You can make sure that you get the right metabolites that you're looking for out of that substrate, first of all. Secondly, um, you may not have the bacteria in your gut. Like if you've, if you've been neglecting your, you know, diversity of fruits and veggies for, for the last 20 years, for instance, those things may have died off. Um, or you may never have had them to begin with. And so if we give you that fruit or veggie, you may not be able to process that into the correct metabolite in your gut that would have have the health benefits that you'd be looking for. So by controlling that outside, you can like amplify that um, fermentation process, obviously with like a large scale with a lot more organisms. Like if you look in the gut, the uh, abundance of, of the microbes interacting with each thing is much, much lower than it would be in a controlled fermentation. You know, talking like you know, logs difference of, of, of bacteria, um, and then the outcome is much more tightly controlled as well. So you're, you're, you're getting a direct endpoint. There's no other organisms in the way interacting with that, that fermentation process. It's just like one or two or whatever we want, want it to be. So it's much more specific. So you're kind of um, really targeting it to give you that sort of deliberate health outcome of that source material rather than just letting 
maybe it happened in the gut. Yeah, um, like I guess the, I mean, obviously we all know, you know, the first three years of our life, that's when the skin, like the gut microbiome is formed. Mm. That is the pinnacle. That's, that's so important, you know. That's, I guess, where mother's milk comes into play, of forming that gut microbiome mm -hmm. where... I guess the birth difference canal. between birth canal, cesarean yeah, yeah, yeah. versus... First mouthful on the way out. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the, the critical part. And that first three years of your life, that sort of forms that microbiome and that's sort of going to stay with you the rest of your life. And I guess after that, like, sometimes your body will see that as foreign bodies trying to invade the body if you want to try and reduce, even if they're good species. Mm. And that's kind of why we have to keep on taking some of these, let's call it supplements or different things and healthy lifestyles because if you don't have those things that colonize the gut back then, you're going to have these, well, you're going to have to find things and I guess it's like that compost. You're going to have to keep on yeah. being in compost yeah. to feed the microbes and if they don't have, and that's that's the difference between live organisms and the metabolites because you're bringing that, the, the compost or the metabolites because your bacteria in your gut might not necessarily be producing those metabolites but if we produce those metabolites outside of the body in a manufacturing, um, you know, uh, setting, in a lab setting, and then take that compounds and reduce it back into the diet, you are getting those benefits from those microbes that you didn't get. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, that brings up the door. I mean, look at AKK. I mean, we... Don't go there. We've only got a couple of minutes left, <laughs> yeah. and if you start yeah. us on AKK, we're going uh. to <laughs> no, um, So what's, what's really important about it is when you do it in that situation and you make that fermentation on a bench, we're talking about creating the postbiotic compounds that can provide the health benefits. We've got the dead microbes in amongst that that can work on uh, maintaining gut wall integrity, work like compost for the live bugs, all of them supporting the live bugs. There'll be some live bugs coming through. All of those sort of things together can go back and help fortify or support a healthy microbiome that will aid the digestion of those particular materials. And you'll see this is the traditionally way it was done is we, we grow a heap of cabbage or something like that when it's in season and then we can, we'll can eat as much cabbage as we can while it's fresh and the rest of it will ferment and everything and then we'll eat that and make it last and that will actually keep our gut primed, keep our gut good for when cabbage season comes back next year. Yeah, and that's pretty much the cycle that we've been running from a long time. And then the, the whole soil stuff is going to be the new frontier because, I mean, I, I'm obsessed with shilajit. Like, that's my favourite, one of my favourite herbs of all time, shilajit, which is basically dirt, fermented dirt. Um, so we're going to have a whole talk about that. We also should can talk more about traditionally fermented things. Like, they're finding these urolithins are these postbiotic compounds that come out of oak barrels, like when you ferment your pomegranates and they're the main active ingredients. Guess what? That's what they also discovered in things like shilajits. Uh, they're finding a lot of the traditional herbs that are made through traditional techniques of creating a lot of postbiotic compounds. That's how they do their work. I'll always talk about that lack of absorption of natural medicine. It's not bioavailable. Uh, bio you know the word? Yep. <laughs> bioavailable. Um and so then they've got to try to tweak it with black pepper or something, you know what I mean? But no, once we understand the microbiome, we understand the process of how these things work within the gut and how much we can achieve within that gut region to have systemic effects, that's where the full frontier of medicine is going to be moving towards, I believe, two and a half thousand years later. We're just getting our head around that we trust the science you know? Yeah, look, yeah, I guess we would love to come back and we'll talk about a bit of the no, skin gut access. Make you guys are way too smart. No. No. Just, you know, talk about, obviously, some of our diagnostic tools that we're developing and working on is obviously, you know, sequencing the skin microbiome and looking at the composi composition of the skin microbiome where microbial focuses on the gut, we focus on the skin. Mm. So we've developed this whole diagnostic side oh, of cool. the business. We look at the skin and... 
because it's that it's such an important it's the biggest organ you know but you know and we want to look at well, i guess it's sort of, you know maybe that's another, another podcast we talk uh, about absolutely. skin but uh, more importantly today we want to talk about your product that's yeah. been the, that's been <laughs> oh know. wow that's well, been well the thing the thing with um <laughs> the thing with plant is like we wanted to create basically when when we had this idea it was we put a bunch of what was on the market at the moment uh, and there's a bunch of uh, plant protein on the market and I wanted to we wanted to create something well specifically I wanted to create something that was for the plant-based athletes that could have something that didn't want to go down the path of having whey or collagen or meat products and all that jazz so we put out a bunch of uh, plant protein got some feedback on those plant proteins and you know there was one was gritty one was um, didn't taste good. It didn't hydrate well. It didn't shake well. It didn't sit well on my guts. Okay, how can we solve these issues? And typically, what people were finding is that it didn't sit well on their guts. That as one of the biggest issues. So how can we make a plant protein that gives a plant-based athlete a boost of protein, but also really covers the base on what is the crux of our health and that is increasing the robustness of our gut environment at the same time how can we help to not only uh yield uh better health and maybe higher higher protein yield out of the protein that we're consuming because i'm sure everyone doesn't you know uh, metabolize protein like i probably metabolize protein different to matt and different to sean and different to tris we probably all take let's say we all took 20 grams i guarantee all of us would probably absorb and utilize i know you you utilize yours different to mine (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) different so how can we how can we for the everyday person how can we bolster what they're taking taking in and how can we help them be healthier and not just that one person but the community and then you know the country and then the world and our ultimate aim is to help create a healthier healthier world in general and by doing that letting you guys work on your secret processes and doing all the the cool technical side of things to be like how can we make this not only yield a better protein absorption or a better function in our gut but also yield a better result in every other bit of food that we eat day mm. to day. That's a good point because one of the things that we noticed is every, when we're looking at we're looking at talking about a plant protein powder, okay, which we're hoping to be used as part of a plant-based diet. Um, whether you're an omnivore or a herbivore, I don't care. We should be eating a lot of plant, all right? And in amongst those plants, we're going to have nutrient, anti-nutrient compounds and bits and pieces. And there's a lot of almost like myths, we had to research all these things that were talked about the vegan diet and or the plant-based diet, or whatever, which it just spins me out at the vegan aspect of it because we're still talking about plant-based versus processed food usually and that's what the true story is. So what we found is they're saying, oh, things like the vegans are deficient in magnesium and you're sitting there going, chlorophyll's made of magnesium. Magnesium's part of chlorophyll. Though. The plants are green. They're eating green plants. Well, how could you be deficient in magnesium on a plant-based diet? They're finding like, oh, we've got some binding nutrients. You know, we've got some anti-nutrients that might stick to it and reduce the absorption. So th- what they do then is they try to fortify the plants with magnesium. You go, well, look, the problem was not that it didn't have magnesium in the first place. The problem was that they weren't absorbing it. So let's fix the gut, the ability to process those, to liberate those nutrients. People go throw it full of iron or B12 because it's not in there. But it's like it has no place in that particular protein. Um, those... Uh, 
other things that you need to fix your healthy gut microbiome for. So that we just had to go back and go through and go, this is no not need to throw all of this stuff into a plant protein to fix the vegan diet. The plant protein is also not the sole source of nutrition. So we're hoping to educate people on variety of foods you know this is not just a straight out meal replacement where you replace it now with our plant protein you know so so we've got to have a variety so we had to correct a lot of those myths and work out do we need to bother adding b12 no point if we've got a good healthy gut do we need to add branch chain amino acids i don't think we need that at all i think actually too much branch chain amino acids is the problem for a lot of people um all these different things that people are fortifying their products with that actually contributed to the grittiness and the gut upset and everything like that we just needed to make a good plant protein that was good as a plant protein. Yeah, you know? and, and I think that's that's the key. And I've never really found uh, one that kind of ticks the boxes across the board. We wanted to have something with a complete amino acid profile. We didn't want to overload it with branch chains because if we have a healthy gut, we can, we can create those things right. If we're in a situation where we're like, let's just say I've done – uh, a big training session and I need to repair my muscles and you know these things are the are building blocks of you know muscle press skeletal muscle and my gut will get a a, a a sense to say hey we need more of these branch chains let's make them we can mm. do that yeah yeah so it's like that type of stuff is the stuff that like we would only know you know unless we're listening to this type of educational podcast where it's just like well we don't have to have to consume branch chains. We can create them in the gut if we've got a healthy microbiome. We're learning new stuff all the time. I mean, we had there was a paper released uh, a couple of years ago that talked about the Saccharomyces yeast that's used in proper fermented breads and alcohols in the Mediterranean area, where they have this thing called the Mediterranean paradox. But it's capable of converting oleic acid that's found in olive oils into the EPA DHA we'd find in fish. So I mean, even going to show that if you colonize the right microbes there we can actually acquire the enzymes we need to convert one food form into another food form if that's what we need so all in all crazy, huh? yeah well it's, it's it's super interesting and crazy and we're just about ready on time for us but like just in saying that so to just wrap it up and and conclude to do things like that like turning certain fats into the types of things that we need for our body to thrive and to create strong cell membranes and all that type of stuff diversity is kind of key absolutely yeah 100% in a nutshell diversity Mm. and and, you know maybe eating that diversity with the seasons like we've Mm. been talking about yeah absolutely and there's another thing I want to ask these guys too in your opinion because you go absolute experts like geniuses like brilliant experts our shit's pretty amazing, huh? The stuff that we're inventing to add into our plant protein. Absolutely. Like, it's next yeah, level yeah, yeah. shit. Look, we right? won't be in this space. Yeah. yeah. Watch out the microbiome space. This yeah. is the next big thing. If yeah. they don't call it the era of the microbiome for nothing. Yeah. And if brands and other people are developing products, if they don't think about the microbiome, yeah. they're making the biggest mistake mm. out there in products. Look for products that supports the microbiome. Mm. That's key. Mm. Look for it. Look for those things. And... I'm so glad to collaborate with you guys because it's like seeing that passion for this whole microbiome space and actually doing the right approach. You know, use science, use what's out there that we know and, you know, taking advantage of that. Otherwise, what are we doing? You know, it's like we have all this, you know, knowledge. Like, do you want to still go live in a cave? (laughs) What do we want to do? I think we're proving that we do want to live in a cave. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The more we learn, the more we realise it. Yeah, I think we should be eating rotten food in a cave, yes. And I actually don't think I'd mind that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we go back to the fermented foods and that's no fridges, no this. Yeah, Yeah, that's what we have to. And that's kind of, you know, 
Yeah. Nice, so. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, look, I just want to say a big thanks from Matt and myself to uh, Trish and Sean for coming on from Biome Centric. These guys, uh, well, I don't even think we got through even a small portion of what we could potentially get through. So uh, just to wrap up podcast number two on the Plant Podcast, I just want to say a big thank you to you guys. And uh, we're looking forward to putting this out. And we're going to come back with a ton more information as we continue on. So, yeah, let's just wrap it up right, and say we thanks. We appreciate it. Thank you, you for having you. us. Great. Awesome. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.